Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. So it's our custom to go around and to um, say our names. My name is Cass. Prisha. Marvin. Matthew. Jeff. Jerry. My name is Stephen. Jack. Jim. White. I'm Richard. Susan. Tom. I'm Brad. Um, we're blessed today to have David Lewis um, as our speaker. David has been following the Dharma path for 45 years, has a degree in comparative religious studies. He teaches insight meditation and enjoys sharing the Dharma at several sanghas around the Bay Area. He's a proud, long-time member of GBF. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's really exciting to be here in person. This is actually my first uh, live Sangha meeting in almost two years. Mm. I've been speaking at various Sanghas, but always on Zoom. So uh, it's a first for me, and uh, it's kind of a wonderful feeling. And I'm also doing another first this morning, uh, which I may regret. Mm. Um, I have two talks that I've been working on uh, the last month or so. And um, I've given them both at uh, another Sangha, uh, so I've gotten good feedback. And I just couldn't decide which one to share with you this morning. So um, I'm going to leave it up to you. <laughs> you get to choose. Uh, one of the talks is about the Four Noble Truths, which was the first talk that the Buddha gave um, after his enlightenment. It is the core teaching of Buddhism. And so I did my own kind of creative riff on it, uh, which I do every few years because it's just a profound teaching. Um, and if you want to get back to basics, the Four Noble Truths is the way to do it. It never gets old. In fact, one of my teachers says that um, every talk, every Dharma talk you hear is the Four Noble Truths or some variation of it. So that's one choice. It's my new talk on the Four Noble Truths, uh, which I actually uh, composed with GPF in mind. Um, which I'll tell you about later on if I do that. But the other talk is um, entitled Wonder, and it's about wonder. And there's not much more I could say about that other than I'll, I'll read you the opening quote of the talk. This is the quotes from G.K. Chesterton, who is not a Buddhist, he's an English writer. But he said, The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. So, um, I, I can't see the Zoom audience, so unfortunately I don't think you get to vote. But for people in the room, how many people would like to hear Four Noble Truths? And how many people would like to hear Wonder? Wonder wins the day. I'm not surprised. So the reason this is a little risky for me is because I didn't know which talk I was going to be giving. I, I haven't rehearsed it. <laughs> I've written it. Can we get... vote? <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Is there a third choice? <laughs> I've written it. I've delivered it um, a couple of times. And it's the wrong talk. Uh, but I'm going to have to do some reading. Uh, more than I usually do. Um, and in the interest of transparency, I would probably have to do that anyway because I'm just, I'm slipping in my old age. Uh, my, my memory is going. And this, this quote has a lot of, this talk has a lot of quotes, which I don't, I can't remember. So wonder. G.K. Chesterton said the world will never starve for want of wonders. Only for want of wonder. The dictionary says, the wonder is a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, 
unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. As this definition suggests, wonder is a state of mind, a feeling. It's not the state of things particularly, it's a state of mind. It's a human response. Uh, near a woods, not a wonder because it's a bunch of trees out in the, it's a, out in the wilderness. Near a woods is a wonder because that's how we respond to it. But in everyday life, we tend to identify more with objects, which we call wonders, like great trees, rather than the state of mind, which is wonder. Dharma practice can help us recognize and cultivate wondrous or wonderful mind states, no matter what's going on in our lives. Wonder arises when we gaze at the stars on a clear night, which was a practice that the Buddha advocated, looking at the stars, contemplating the infinity of the universe. Wonder arises when you witness the migration of monarch, monarch butterflies, or stand underneath a canopy of ancient redwood trees. We associate wonder with a feeling of awe in the presence of majesty. But poets and scientists remind us that if we look carefully, wonder is found in the most humble of things. This is a bit of a long quote from Brian Cox, who's a particle physicist, speaking about a blade of grass. On its own, a blade of grass is a wonder. But viewed in isolation, its complexity and very existence is inexplicable. Darwin's genius was to see that the existence of something as magnificent as a blade of grass can be understood, but only in the context of its interaction with other living things, and crucially, its evolutionary history. A physicist might say that it's a four-dimensional structure with both spatial and temporal extant, and it's simply impossible to comprehend the existence of such a structure in a universe governed by the simple laws of physics if its history is ignored. And whilst you are contemplating the humble majesty of a blade of grass, same quote continuing, Whilst you are contemplating the humble majesty of a blade of grass with a spatial extent of a few centimeters but stretching back in the temporal direction for almost a third of the age of the universe, pause for a moment to consider the viewer. Because what is true of the blade of grass is also true for you. You share the same basic biochemistry all the way down to the detail of proton waterfalls, and much of the same genetic history, carefully documented in your DNA. This is because you share the same common ancestor. You were all related. You were once the same. End of quote. So all creation, like the blade of grass, was once stardust and therefore, wonderful. And speaking of a blade of grass, um, I've been participating in a Walt Whitman uh, study group lately. So I've been reading a lot of Whitman. And uh, Whitman wrote a long time before science confirmed it that, quote, a leaf of grass is no less than the journey work of the stars. Walt Whitman spoke the language of wonder. This is not, this is the perspective of one who is not caught up in a tight-fisted view of self. The Buddha's teachings about anatta, or not self, are not so much about the dis dissolution of his false sense of self as they are about the interconnectedness of all beings sentient 
and otherwise. Our preciously guarded sense of self is a delusion, something less than actuality. Whitman also famously said, I contain multitudes. So what Chesterton, in that introductory quote, lamented was the absence of wonder in our busy lives. Think back over the past couple of years with all the, the pandemic and politics and bad news and struggles that we've gone through. Um, and try to remember any sense of wonder during that time. It might be rare. Not the absence of wonderful things, they were always there, but the absence of a sense of wonder. Our Western culture celebrates individualism and exceptionalism, and our values are grounded in materialism of producing and consuming. The acceptable response to how are you is busy, right? <laughs> That's the acceptable response. We nod our heads, we empathize, we agree that well, busy is a good thing, good thing you're busy. But hearing that response always makes me a little sad. Perhaps we've become too busy to experience wonder all around us. Milan Kundera, the Czech writer, says, there would be nothing more obvious, more tangible than the present moment and yet it eludes us completely. All sadness in life lies in that fact. But the Buddha, of course, taught us that the present moment is tangible, although we may have forgotten how to access it. Just watch any infant exploring their world that's the very face of presence and wonder. We have always had access to wonder. It's just that our busy thinking minds get in the way of direct experience. In a poem, Dylan Thomas says that children in wonder watching the stars is the aim and the end. One of the things that I really love about um, Buddha Dharma, Buddha's teachings, is the notion that life, this body, the mind, and the world it reflects is wondrous. The Buddha often said that um, one of the most wonder, wondrous things is this human incarnation. Uh, it's the fact that we're born human and the fact that we were born at all. Um, and I never quite grokked that uh, quote from the Buddha until recently, actually after I wrote this talk, I found a book by Richard Dawkins uh, about wonder. And Richard Dawkins, the um, evolutionary scientist, said that, um, pointed out at the beginning of this book that it's, it's an absolute miracle that any of us were born not just considering our ancestors and that they happened to link up in the way that they did and the time happened the way it did, but just that, you know, that many sperms and that many eggs just happened to come together in the right place. It's a miracle. It's a one in 100,000 chance that we became human beings. And Dawkins goes on to say that we should uh, celebrate death, we should feel good about the fact that we're going to die because it means that we lived. We had this miraculous chance of being a human being. And so we shouldn't be rejecting or fearing death because it's just part of life, like everything else, like a blade of grass. And Buddha agreed with that. And Buddha also added that one of the miraculous things or maybe the most miraculous thing about being human, our biggest opportunity of being a human being, is the fact that we have a chance to awaken. And as you may know, if you've read suttas or heard, heard other talks uh, about the Buddha's time, that there were, um, they believed in devas and gods and um, 
other beings, other levels of existence, um, animals, humans, devas. The devas could not wake up. They could not. Um, they, they cannot become enlightened, as humans can. We have this chance to become enlightened. So this is why the Buddha said it's such a great thing to be human. Better than to be a god. We don't have to undertake great journeys to experience transcendence. The poet Hafiz said, I felt in need of a great pilgrimage, so I sat still for three days. The Buddha would have endorsed that. And so would Franz Kafka, <laughs> who said, you do, not leave, you do not need to leave your room. Remain sitting at your table and listen. Do not even listen. Simply wait. Be quiet, still, and solitary. The world will freely offer itself to you to be unmasked. It has no choice. It will roll in ecstasy at your feet. not need to leave your room. What a lesson for uh, these pandemic times. <laughs> and it's a lesson that I cultivated during the past couple of years, especially that intense year when basically I didn't leave home except to go to the grocery store. And actually, I didn't touch a human being for a solid year. I don't know what your experience was, but a lot of my practitioner friends turned that year into um, a kind of extended retreat. They spent more time meditating, more time. Um, they turned their home into, if they were able to, you didn't have small kids, for instance, turned their home into a um, uh, retreat center. And their mindfulness practice flourished during those months. I heard a lot of that from people that had a meditation practice. We were one group that didn't complain so much about shelter in place. And if we managed to still our minds, even for a few moments at a time, contentment and well-being arose. A welcome alternative to the boredom, worry, and restlessness that daily life usually presents. I've never been so grateful for my practices this past couple of years. It just, uh, it's wonderful for my practice. The great 20th century Thai teacher, Ajahn Chah, invites us to try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still, like a clear forest pool. You will see many wonderful and strange things come and go. But you will be still. Problems will arise, and you will see through them immediately. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So transcendence, from a mindfulness perspective, transcendence is a perfectly ordinary experience. So we have a hard time trusting that something so profound can be so simple. We just don't believe that can be so. The Tibetan teacher, Kalu Rinpoche, talked about the four faults of awareness. These could equally be the four faults of transcendence. It could equally be the four faults or the four problems with awakening or nirvana. And those problems are problems that we bring to it. He said the four faults are, and you can say that this is true for wonder as well, the faults are it's so close you can't see it. It's so deep you can't fathom it. It's so simple, you can't believe it. And it's so good, you can't accept it. Look at your own experience and think if you've if you, if ever reflected on maybe the concept of, of nirvana. You 
think, well, that's, that's far off. That's not right here. And that's complicated. And that's, so that's, that's just too good that it's not, um, I'm not deserving of it. And maybe it's so deep that I can't fathom it. Those are all delusions of the human mind. Wonder, awakening, transcendence, are right here available in our, right here this morning, in GBF, available in our um, everyday lives. The suttas, the Buddha's teachings and the teachings about the Buddha, are full of wonder. The, words often, the word wonder is often used to describe the Buddha himself and his effect on people. And, and the effect of his words. But the Buddha himself used it to describe the wonders of mindfulness and samadhi, simple practices that are available to all of us. These practices cultivate wonder with time. It's the practice that we did before I gave this talk, sitting quietly. Mary Oliver, the poet, says, to pay attention, this is our endless and proper work. So in preparing for this talk, um, in writing this talk, I did a little research, as I always do. I was looking through the suttas, um, specifically searching for wonder, um, instances of wonder in the suttas. And I discovered that there's a sutta that I had never read before that is actually translated as wonderful and marvelous. That's the name of the sutta. The Pali words are Acharya Abhuta Sutta. Wonderful and marvelous. I thought, jackpot, here's the sutta that I can base my talk on. I was so excited. I found a talk about wonder that I didn't know about. And so um, I read it. And it was a particularly long sutta. And what the sutta's about, it's a, it's a story of um, a gathering of um, the Buddhist community, a gathering of monks and nuns. And um, Ananda, the Buddha's uh, cousin and, and um, sidekick, uh, the Buddha's wingman was Ananda. He was there most of the time and, and related a lot of the suttas. He had a photographic memory. Um, Ananda was there talking to the monks and the Buddha walked into the room, into this gathering. Ananda was doing most of the talking. This is a sutta where the Buddha doesn't say much. And the Buddha walked into the room and he said, well, what are you all talking about? And Ananda said, um, well, we're talking about the wonders of the Buddha, of the Buddha's life. We're talking about the, the miraculous um, aspects of the Buddha. And so the Buddha went and sat to the side and said, well, carry on. And Ananda carried on, and on, and on. It went on for pages, paragraphs, and it was all about miracles. It was about, I, I don't know if you, I, I didn't realize this until um, I read the sutta, but there's, the, the Buddha's birth, birth was a virgin birth. That was one miracle. And the skies opened up, and the devas came down, and the animals gathered to celebrate, and and um, lightning flashes and thunder and earthquakes happened. And, uh, so the sutta is just this long, phenomenally boring recitation of miracles, miracles about the Buddha. And I almost gave up before I finished reading it because I thought, okay, this isn't giving me any good material. This is just, this is just miracles. But I stuck it through to the end of the sutta. And I was glad that I did, because um, Nanda finally runs out of steam. And uh, the Buddha, who we've kind of forgotten about, sitting in the, in the corner of the room, the Buddha um, speaks up when Ananda's done and says, is that all you got, Ananda? <laughs> <laughs> and Ananda said, yeah, that's, that's about it. And this is what the Buddha says. And these are the, the only words of the Buddha in the sutta. This is how the Buddha responds. The Buddha says, Well, that being so, Ananda, remember this too as wonderful and marvelous 
quality of, of the Tathagata. Tathagata is a name for the Buddha. For the Tathagata, feelings are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Perceptions are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Thoughts are known as they arise, as they are present, as they disappear. Remember this too, Ananda, as a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. So what the Buddha's doing there is pointing out that simple mindfulness practice, like we did this morning, is of equal or greater wonder than all those miracles that Ananda was rattling on about. All those worldly things. The Buddha says, simple mindfulness practice is the greatest wonder of all. So that, that sutta is, I just love it now because of that, um, that, what the Buddha says at the end, it's almost kind of a joke. <laughs> so that word, tathagata, or tathagata, as it's um, phonetically spelled, is one of the many, uh, many honorific titles of the Buddha. It's derived from the same um, root Pali word as tathata, which is often defined as suchness or thusness. So you might experience a moment of tadata when you look out your window and see a hummingbird resting on a branch outside. It feels like the whole world has stopped and there's just the bird at rest and you and no separation. You're transfixed and it's a wonderful moment. Mindfulness practice helps us to both notice and prolong these moments of transcendence and experience of the world. Maybe you've read Ocean Vuong's book on Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. He's a young, gay, um, Vietnamese-American writer. It's a wonderful book. And in that book, he describes, quote, a a trio of tulips in an earthenware pot that stopped me in the middle of my mind, end quote. That's a beautiful description of Tanata. And it reminds us that the wondrous event is not the tulips, but the stopping of the mind. Same thing with my hummingbird image. It's not the hummingbird, it's, it's that our mind is maybe, uh, at least this happened to me, looking out my window and seeing a hummingbird rusting in a tree, it just stopped my mind. You can probably think of your own examples in life of times when something has just struck you so profoundly that the mind stops. And the wondrous thing is not the thing outside of yourself, the wondrous thing is the stopping of the mind. And so it is with poetry and art and nature. The simplest things are endowed with the great, greatest significance. As in, for example, William Carlos Williams' well-known poem, The Red Wheelbarrow, where he says, so much depends upon a red barrel, a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's it. That's a moment of tatata. That's what that poem is about, a moment of suchness. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. Just that. Or, this short verse from the medieval poet, Japanese poet, Izumi Shibiku. She writes, Although I try to hold a single thought of the Buddha's teaching in my heart, I cannot help but hear the many crickets' voices calling as well. A sense of wonder invites all kinds of beneficial mind states, such as gratitude, curiosity, joy, and humility. Humility 
Because when we're in a state of wonder, the ego is diminished. It's not all about me. John Milton, the poet, says, Gratitude bestows reverence, allowing us to encounter everyday epiphanies, those transcendent moments of awe that change forever how we experience life and the world. The Venerable Inalio is a a well-known Buddhist monk and translator and Buddhist scholar, one of the greatest living Buddhist scholars today and translators, reminds us that the whole of the Buddhist path can be seen as a progressive refinement of joy. The whole of the Buddhist path can be seen as a progressive refinement of joy. So looking back on my own nearly 50 years of Dharma practice, I can say this has been my experience. Peace is always available to us, as is a sense of wonder. A peaceful mind is a wondrous thing in and of itself. As the Buddha said in that story in the Sutta with Ananda, simple act of mindfulness, the simple act of being in the moment, no matter what's going on, if you're present, if you're fully present in the moment, that's a wondrous thing. It only requires a willingness to slow down, to pay attention, to step off the hamster wheel of a busy mind and directly experience the world, unfiltered by your ideas, your preferences, your prejudices. In other words, abide in direct experience. Direct experience being precognitive. It's not about thinking. Direct experience is is experienced through your, your six senses. Wumen Hukai, a Chinese Chan master, says, 10,000 flowers in the spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. So this is the best season of your life. Your life. Can you see it? Your best chance for happiness is right now, in this present moment. And now. And now. It's not in the past, it's not in the future. It's right now. So every day of late, I've been stopped in the middle of my mind by something, or sometimes the absence of something. Sometimes just the quiet. And I have the opportunity to either get busy or to abide in wonder. I'm learning to choose wonder. It's a practice. Sometimes when we have those moments of tarata, of suchness, they're so subtle that it seems like nothing's happening. And what do we do when nothing's happening? We make something happen. We think of something or we do something. But we can train the mind. And I'm not talking about just closing our eyes and being in meditation practice. I'm talking about everyday life. Train the mind. When we notice one of those moments, when a beautiful flower, when we're out taking our walk, catches our attention, to just be with it. Not not keep moving. Not think about something else. Not fill in the blanks. It's a choice. It's a practice. As the Buddha pointed out to Ananda, the greatest wonder of all is the wonder of waking up. So in closing, this is how waking up is described by Sally Tisdale in her book, Woman of the Way, Women of the Way. She's relating the story of Tejitsu, the abbess of Hakujan, 
It's a description of um, a moment of enlightenment. One of the most beautiful descriptions of a moment of enlightenment that I've ever experienced in Dharma. This is the quote about Tajitsu. She saw that arisings arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowingness arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew that there was nothing more than this, no ground, nothing to lean on stronger than the cane she held, nothing to lean on at all, and no one leaning. And she opened the clenched fist of her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. So, thank you for your kind attention. That, giving that talk makes me happy. <laughs> I hope it made you happy too. Um, but I'm interested in uh, what it might have brought up for you. Or any questions you might have or reflections. or Particularly any moments of wonder that you can kind of, moments of tarata, of suchness that you recall. Jim? Well, yes, David, it's wonderful to be in your presence and hear you speak again and see you so well. Um, uh, uh, I'm a great fan of an Argentinian pianist named Martha Argerich, who is just otherworldly in her, her range. And she, her dearest friend from teenage years in studying this uh, Nelson Trier, who just died this week, and um, also Argentinian. And there's a small documentary connected to the New York Times a bit that shows them rehearsing four hands um, duets for a concert. And they, they can't find the music. They're on the floor looking for the music. And then they find one that she says, well, we could try it. She says, although you can sight read and I cannot. And she's just, you know, enormously brilliant. Um, but I was in awe at the easy togetherness that they had and their titanic geniuses. But it was just this soft friendship. And then they then they sight read through a piece that neither of them knew and it was, it was gorgeous. Anyway, it just took my breath away. And then, so yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. And gratitude. Rather joyous. Yeah. And the fact that they could do that was the result of years and years and years of practice. It's, um, the Buddha actually made a connection between uh, use music as a metaphor uh, for dharma practice. He said it's, it's the, you're learning a skill in exactly the same way. And in exactly the same way, um, learning to play an instrument or learning uh, to, to sing properly uh, is really hard in the beginning, right? Like a language, it's really hard. And then it gets easier and easier and easier with time. So those of you with, for, with mindfulness practice, whether you're at the beginning of your practice or whether you're practicing for years, maybe that rings true. Maybe, I don't know. Please, yes, Jeff. it's true for me. I had that experience yesterday. Um, it was actually preceded by being uh, pissed off at my father for something, and <laughs> which made me very sort of not self-conscious about playing. I'm studying the harmonium and uh, uh, just through talk, chanting. And I've been doing it for a year and it's just taking so long, it seems. I'm not, I'm not getting it. I'm sort of like a kindergarten, you know? But yesterday, because I didn't really care anymore, I reached, suddenly I could play, I played loud. <laughs> didn't worry about the neighbors. <clears throat> Um, and sounded good, and just didn't even care. It just was really a new experience. So. Wonderful. That's a, such a great example of what happens when you let go. You mm -hmm. let go of striving. Mm -hmm. uh, so often striving gets in the way of our, our trying to accomplish anything. And exactly the same thing is true in meditation practice. It's if you strive, if they, mm -hmm. okay, I really want to calm the mind. Really want to calm the mind. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Actually, recorded it, a video of it, which our class is encouraging us to do. Um, and uh, try to post it this morning. We'll see what the feedback is. Uh, 
Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> that's quite an accomplishment. And that's, that's a wonderful point when you get at that point in practice, whether it's a language where all of a sudden you realize you're thinking in that language, or learning to play an instrument, or uh, in meditation pra practice, where all of a sudden you realize that, oh, I'm just, I'm being mindful. I'm not trying to be mindful. I'm just, yeah. mindfulness is happening. It's a wonderful thing. David Bob on Zoom says, Thank you for creating an experience in which I thought and felt simultaneously. I wonder if at some point when I wonder about wonder, I'll be listening to your talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of response I love hearing. <laughs> that, that's Bob? Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Bob. What can I ask about the suchness? You know, is that, I think, what is Sorry. suchness? Suchness. Yes. It's, the Pali word is tarata, and um, it's one of those Buddhist words that's really hard to define. And it's just, it's, it's that feeling you get where, um, well, like Ocean Vuong said, that, that he's, he's, he's looking at a pot of tulips and mm -hmm. his mind stops. Mm -hmm. So he's dwelling in suchness. He's not thinking, oh, that, those are pretty tulips, and I hope, hope they don't die. He's just there with the tulips. It's suchness. It's being fully present in the moment with whatever's in your experience. But the tulips themselves have suchness. Have they exist without the awareness of the writer? They do, and you could have a great philosophical, phenomenological um, discussion about uh, you know, if you close your eyes, or if you're in the other room, are the tulips still there? If a tree falls in the forest, yeah, yeah, they do. The tulips have a such as itself, but the impact we have, they have on, on, on him in that moment, was because he saw them and responded to them. I mean, there's things in this room that. Um, might be causes of wonder, maybe that Quan Yin in the corner that um, you're completely aware of, unaware of all morning because you're not looking at it. Um, so if you turn your beam of attention on something, whether it's a pot of tulips or a beautiful statue or, or, or an empty mind, um, and you have that experience of suchness. Please. Um, Nature does it every time. Nature is just automatically wondrous. It's, it's doesn't even have to be anything very sweet. It could be a single honeybee that you see on a, on a, on a, on a flower in your backyard. It's, it's a wondrous thing. So and getting, getting out into nature um, definitely has its benefits. Um, thanks for a profound talk today, David. I really appreciate it. Um, you mentioned like, at one point uh, that kind of in this very room, in this very moment, um, enlightenment is possible. And um, I, I guess I'm always on the striving end of that, like striving towards towards that. And I'm just wondering if it's something that's ex accessible, kind of, it doesn't need to feel so remote if it's accessible, you know, and small, you know, it's not a transformation, a permanent transformation necessarily, but like yeah. tastes yeah, yeah. of enlightenment are accessible. Yeah. We call that 
uh, brief moments many times. Brief moments many times. And that's, that's the process of awakening, is brief moments many times. And all, all an, an awake moment really means, um, basically, is when your mind is absent of greed, aversion, and delusion. You know, if you're not wanting something to happen, if you're not striving, you have to let go of striving. If, you don't, if you're not wanting something to happen, if you're not wanting something not to happen, if you're not wanting something to go away, if you're simply accepting the moment as it is and relaxing into the present moment without um, greed, aversion, or delusion, that's the moment of being awake. It's so, going through that list, it's so simple you can't believe it. You think, oh, that's too simple. And it's so profound you can't accept it. And it's so deep you think, that, well, that can't be awakening. It's Adyashanti has a wonderful quote where he says, "It's not what you think; it's much, much less." Mm-hmm. I guess we have time for one more question, or we can move on to announcements. Move on to announcements. Okay. Um, Do we have any? Uh, do we have a host today? We have a host today. There are some hermetically sealed snacks on the table. Ginger cookies and uh, popcorn. <laughs> so please enjoy those. You can keep them here or take them with you. I will be coming around with the Donna Bowl. Have to fill up with Donna, uh, hopefully. And please hot water the snacks if someone turns the hot water on because I forgot to do that. I think it sounded like it was on. I thought it was. Thank you, Grisha. And thank you, Grisha, for the technological uh, connections that keep us functioning on Zoom and allow us to be here as well. Thank you so much. So, yes, Donna is um, the Polyword for Generosity and um, Ten to twenty dollar donation would be greatly appreciated. Whatever uh, works for you, um, it goes to pay for the newsletter and to the rental of this space, to the uh, cost of uh, Zoom, and uh, Donna to our speakers. And hopefully, pretty soon, it'll get back to paying for uh, the lunches we pre- the dinners we prepare for. Uh, the homeless youth at Blackman Street. Um, next week, our, we have uh, an open discussion, I believe. Yes, Richard. I just want to remind everyone next Saturday we'll be having a day long retreat here with Stephen Trey. I'll be sending out on the Google uh, group the schedule, but basically it's 10 to 5. There's no registration, there's no fee. Uh, and lunch will not be served, there will be some snacks. And as always, Donna is more than welcome. You could come on Zoom and you can come in person. And if you have any questions, my email will be in the, uh, you can ask me. Do we have any other announcements, Jack? Yeah. Hi, I'm Jack. Um, hi, everybody here, and hi, you Zoom people, too. Um, GBF publishes a newsletter quarterly, and for the past year and a half, we've been well back up about we print about print about fifty. Let me start over. <laughs> the newsletter is available on on the website, so check that. We do print about three hundred newsletters. About fifty of those go to regular people, and two hundred and fifty go to incarcerated people who can don't have access to the website. So. Um, for the past year and a half, we've been producing uh, the physical mailing remotely with a few people doing a lot of work. Um, but now since we're meeting in person again, it's not today, it's not next week, it's three weeks from today on Thanksgiving weekend on November 28th. And since we're now meeting in person again, we thought that we could also revert to our previous process of getting together after the meeting 
for about an hour with hopefully 10 or 12 people um, to help stamp and stuff envelopes and fold and staple and all of that and put mailing labels on so we can mail them out. So I'm just giving you advance <laughs> notice right now to please plan on it. We only have, I don't know, we have about 12 or 15 today. So you need at least about 10 or 12 people. So sort of plan ahead and if you can volunteer and help with this, thank you very much. We always have good fun. Yeah, hope, yeah. I mean, it's helpful. It's, yeah. it's great to be engaged with CBF and in doing good for the world out there. And it's fun. <laughs> so, thank you. November 28th. Um, okay, let's, if there's no further announcements, let's gather for the dedication of men. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.